Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. It will be found in the New Testament section of your pew Bibles on page 116, or it will also be shown on the screen. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Oh dear God, prepare our heart to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that in hearing these words, we may also obey your will through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Acts 5, verse 27. When the temple police had brought the apostles, they had them stand before the council. The highest priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had killed by hanging him on the tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior, that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. What a, what a true blessing it is this morning for us to gather around this post-resurrection text and to think about its meaning and, and our opportunity to gather at the, at the communion table. So this morning we, we wrap up really the last sort of thought that I want to share with you on this series that we've been doing through Lent, Easter, and now this Easter tide, walking the path. And you see the, the, the theme up there, walking the path, choices for every follower of Jesus. And I think today's text, as we've tried with all the texts, Today's text illustrates the, the complexity of trying to walk and to practice the way of Jesus. And the challenge that I think is in the text is one that is a real challenge for us today too. And, and the question I would pose to you is simply this, what, what is the price that we are willing to pay so that we can share the gospel with others? In some ways, that is at the heart of chapters four and five, and we just took a snippet out of that long story. So let's just do a quick review on what's happening in chapters four and five. You'll remember that it started back in chapter four when Peter and John healed this man who had been blind from birth. He would sit at the temple gates begging, and now that the man is able to walk and run, people are wondering what's going on, how did this miracle happen? And Peter and John carefully explained that we didn't do this. It is the same Christ who died and was raised from the dead. He is the one who provided the healing uh, for this man. 
And in the course of that preaching, the leaders, the religious leaders in Jerusalem arrested them and told them, you've got to stop this. You have to stop doing this. Uh, you can't keep blaming us for, for the death of this, this, this person that you call the Messiah, Jesus. And so they warned them, they flogged them, the disciples go back to their people, their fellow believers, and they pray and they ask God to give them boldness to keep on doing it, and they went back again and started doing it, and they were once again arrested. And after being kept in jail overnight, we read that the, the, the angel of God came and set them free from the jail and told them to go back again into the streets, go back into the temple courts, and let them know that Christ is Lord. Share the gospel. And so when, they, when the religious leaders ask for the prisoners, they go back to the prison. They're not there. The guards are there, but the prisoners aren't there. And then they find them out preaching the gospel. So they bring them back in again. And this is where the reading picks up. I thought we told you to shut up, stop preaching. And the story goes on. So what I love about this text is what it tells us about the church. If you read chapter 5, there are three things that this text tells us about the church, and you want to hear this. First of all, the text tells us that the church is comprised of human beings like you and me. That's, that's one of the things we want to hold on to. And where people gather, where people congregate, there will be trouble. And the text tells us the second thing about the church is that the church, despite its flaws and its weaknesses, is still the instrument that God wants to use to spread the message of Jesus. Since the resurrection, there, there, there's really no other option, no other option. It's the church, the responsibility to share the message, to share the good news. It's been handed over to the church. And at the beginning of Acts, you know what the Lord told the disciples, stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will receive power so you can then go out and share the good news. But the third thing this text shows us is that many people in the world do not love Jesus' church. And Jesus did warn the disciples, right? He said to them, if they hated me first, they're going to hate you. If they rejected me, don't be surprised if they reject you. And Jesus told them that a time will come when you're going to be arrested and you're going to be brought before the Sanhedrin. You're going to be brought before your accusers. And don't worry what you will need to say on that day because I will be with you and I'll put the words in your mouth. And would you believe it? That day did finally come. And you say, well, what was their concern? Why were these, aren't they on the same team? Why would the religious leaders have such a big deal? Well, the fact of the matter is, in chap chapter 4 and 5, Christianity is spreading. The gospel is spreading. People are responding. They're coming into the fellowship of the church. And three things that we see in the text that seem to suggest why the religious leaders were concerned. One, we're told that they were preaching the message in the name of Jesus. The leaders were bothered 
that the apostles were preaching and miracles were being performed in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Second thing was the resurrection. The leaders were also frustrated by the fact that the preaching of Jesus involved the resurrection. If you look at verse 17, we didn't, couldn't read all of chapter 5 because it's such a long passage. But if you look in verse 17 of chapter 5, we're told that among that religious council, there were the Sadducees. And if you know anything about the Sadducees and the Pharisees, there's this ongoing debate between, is the resurrection real? Can people be raised? Pharisees believe, yes, there is a resurrection. The Sadducees believe, no. And so maybe part of the problem is that the notion that these folks were preaching about the resurrection could have been seen as a direct affront, a direct attack on their beliefs and on their theology. And the third reason, believe it or not, is jealousy. Jealousy. Because they were preaching in his name, not in the name of Rabbi so-and-so, not in the name of some denominational movement. They were preaching in the name of Jesus. Jesus was being proclaimed and not their name. And it sounds like they were jealous, but they were also jealous because these unschooled, unlettered, crude fishermen were actually filling up the place, standing room only. People were coming out to hear them. And uh, the Pharisees just couldn't get it. They, you know, we have the, the, the training we have the knowledge, we have the standing and the respect, and yet no one is following us. What's going on? So they were, they were jealous. And the jealousy so consumed them that they arrested the apostles. Can you imagine that? And put them in a public prison. And I think by arresting Peter and John, the leaders then were hoping to intimidate them to cower them into fear, to silence them. But you know from the text, it didn't work. It didn't work. And so they called them together, and they said, look, we gave you strict orders. And these are people of power now. Please understand that. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. And Peter calmly responds, we must obey God rather than man, rather than human authority. That was his answer. We must obey God. I looked at John Calvin's commentary and what he had to say about this passage, and let me just quote a line from what he says here. He says that obedience to those in authority, because I, I think we have to be careful when we read Peter's words, because I could be speeding down the road and the policeman stops me and said, sir, you know you were doing 50 and a 30... 30 mile an hour zone, and I could then use this text and say, well, officer, you know, my faith tells me that I must obey God rather than human authority, and I, I, I believe God was telling me to go fast, go fast. That's just not going to work that day. And, and, you know, that's a trivial example, but some people use religious statements sometimes to, to baptize behaviors that are not appropriate. John Calvin says that obedience to those in authority constitutes obedience to God, but when those authorities lead us away from obedience to God, because they themselves are striving against God with their sacrilegious boldness and their pride, they must be abated. 
so that God may be above all in authority. And I think that's what Peter is saying. I think Calvin accurately captures the sense of that text. And so I would ask you, as I have been asked myself, what would you, what would we do if we were in the same situation? You've been arrested. You've been brought before a judge, a court, and they're telling you, cease and desist. Stop speaking about Christ or you will face prison time, beatings, and possibly death. What would you do? Well, in all my years as a follower of Jesus, I have never, ever been physically accosted, threatened with arrest. I've never been denied any of my constitutional rights to free speech. I've never been beaten by anyone for my commitment for Jesus as Lord and Savior. And you can say, Pastor Ray, you're just living in a, you're living a safe life. Well, I would imagine that not many of us in this room this morning could, could say that because of my confession in Jesus, because of my belief in his resurrection and my commitment to spreading the good news, that I have now been a target of the IRS or the government or some, some aspect of my, my rights have been taken away. I, I, I don't think anyone here in this room could say a similar thing. But here's what we know. We know that there are places in the world where today's Christians are experiencing what happened to Christians 2,000 years ago. There are countries in our world where Christianity is banned or considered illegal. And when I say illegal, I mean in those countries, you cannot publicly gather to worship Jesus Christ in the way that we are doing this morning. They can't publicly express their faith. They can't even attempt to preach the gospel and try to lead others to adopt that faith. Simply owning a Bible, talking about Christianity, talking to your family members about Christianity and the good news of Jesus in some countries in the world today can result in imprisonment or death. And you know some of these places, places like Afghanistan and in North Korea and Somalia and Libya, Yemen, Eritrea, places in Pakistan, there are places in Nigeria, there are places in Iran, and even in India, and so many more, where it is a little dangerous to make that statement, we must obey God rather than any human authority and carry on with gospel ministry. But here's what I find troubling for me, is that in contrast to these places, Christians living in North America, living in Chicago, living in sort of, you want to use the big word, the West in general, generally we face no restrictions to publicly witnessing to the resurrection of Christ. No persecutions, no physical attacks, no imprisonment. And yet, what we are finding 
is that the, the willingness, the courage, the openness to share the gospel, to share the good news that all of us, and I'll put myself right in there, are reluctant. We're reluctant. And why, why is that? I mean, no one's beating down our doors. When you got in your car to come to church, no one was blockading the building. And yet, when the opportunities are there to share the gospel, we are silent. Why? Years ago, I read the book, and I need to read it again, uh, Dallas Willard's book, The Great Obsession. And he gives part of the answer. And, and I know the print there is a little small for some of you to see, but let me read it. His book, The Great Omission, reclaiming Jesus' essential teachings on disciples, he says, the last command Jesus gave the church before he ascended into heaven was the great commission, the call for Christians to make disciples of all the nations, but Christians have responded by making Christians not disciples. And it was in reading Willard's book years ago that I started making the public declaration in many of our churches, we don't need any more members, we need more disciples because we do a good job at getting members. And I speak with a broken heart when I say this, but we struggle to make disciples. And that's what he calls the church's great omission. But there are other reasons, right, for our silence. For some of us, it's the fear of ridicule. It's the fear. Because we, we're such good-hearted people, we don't want to offend anyone. And so we say nothing. The fear of not knowing enough. I just don't know enough, so I better not open my mouth. And I'm not sure why I believe that Jesus has risen from the dead, so I better not say anything. For others of us, it could be bad theology. There's a lot of bad theology in the church where we say that, well, Pastor Ray, why? Everyone is saved. Everyone is going to heaven. God loves everyone. God would never judge people who reject Christ. So why this big stuff about sharing the good news? Another reason I think has to do, and it's very, it's very Western, it's very American, and it has to do with privacy. Religion in America is a private matter. And it really has no place in the public sphere. Talk about it in these buildings, but once you go outside these doors, zip it. And then in many of our churches, we place the responsibility for sharing the gospel on the mission council and the evangelistic team, and we put it on the pastors and those who have the gift and so we give ourselves a pass and say, well, you know, I just don't have that gift, so I can't share the good news. I don't have the ability, I don't have the gift of gab to share the good news of Jesus. I need somebody just to teach me how. And we could go on and on and on with all the reasons why. So what I want to do before we come to the table very quickly is just have us reconnect with what I call a biblical why. Reconnect with the biblical why. Why did the early followers say we must obey God rather than human authority 
and we then will go out at the price of many things and share. Why? Well, let me share a few reasons that I saw in the text. Number one, they knew they had good news to share. Good news. And I could, we, could, we could spend some time on that. But it's hard to keep good news to yourself, right? It's hard to keep good news to yourself. You want people to know. Yeah, we're, my wife's having a baby. I got a new job. Did you visit that restaurant? The best food in town. You have to see this movie. I read this book, and I think this book is going to be the book of the year. Good news. They knew they had good news. They were eyewitnesses. Some of them were eyewitnesses of the resurrection. And so, yeah, you could string me up and kill me, but you can't take away what I saw. And then the other thing is they prayed for boldness. And God gave them the boldness, so they said, all right, let's go do it. They valued obedience to God more than approval from human beings. They wanted to see people repent. That's what we read in the text. God told them, go back out. We, we, we must keep preaching because we want all of Israel to repent, and we want all of Israel to receive forgiveness from sins. You could call that compassion. You could call that the heart of Jesus. And they relied on the Holy Spirit. They relied on the Holy Spirit. They had their biblical why. Do we have one? Do we have a reason for sharing the hope that lies in Jesus? And I think we do. And I think if you go back and read Matthew 28, 19 and 20, you'll see that Jesus gives us the reason. I think if you go back and read Luke chapter 15, Jesus gives us the reason. He said the kingdom of God is like, and he tells a story about a lost coin and he tells a story about a lost um, sheep, and he tells a story about a lost son. Jesus says, I came to seek and to save. People are lost without Christ. That's a biblical why. Another one is simply this, and we sing about this every single Sunday. We read verses in the Bible. Jesus died for lost people. And then there is this one. I think this is another biblical why. These are the words of Peter early in the big controversy. Shut up. Stop preaching. Peter says, look, there is salvation in no one else. Where else shall we go? There is no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. We have the biblical why. And the question is, do we, do we believe this? So two things I would encourage you to do. One is, your story is powerful. You don't realize how powerful your story is of what Jesus has done in your life. You know, a week ago, I was sitting with some folks that I had met. They're not members of the church. They're not even Christians. And in the course of our conversation, somehow they started telling me a little bit about their early childhood, where in their home there was a lot of abuse of alcohol and drugs and marijuana, and it was devastating for them. And without trying to be preachy, without trying to take over the conversation, it was just so natural because I bear the scars internally of growing up 
in a home where my father, whom I love, who became a believer, who died and is with Christ, but there was a season in his life when his God was the bottle. And I can still have, I still have very vivid, vivid memories of what some of those days and nights were like when he would come home from America to visit us in Jamaica. And there were days I told his family when I couldn't wait for him to head back home because then I feel like I could breathe and our home was normal again. Nobody should live that way. But that's part of my story. And I could share with them, first of all, how I learned to forgive my father and how he received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ who delivered him from his alcohol. And a couple of things happened when I talked with this family. I felt like we built an emotional connection, an understanding. They were inspired and they want to meet again. I'm telling you, when you share your stories, people listen. Tell them how Jesus met you. Tell them how Jesus was the answer to the difficulties that you've been experiencing in life. When we share the stories of Jesus' work in our lives, we, we open doors and people want to hear more. You don't have to go to seminary to do that. I'm telling you. The other thing I would encourage you to do is to, is to pray. We're living in a season of huge chaos. It's hard to go through a day without bumping into somebody who is sighing and telling you of the challenges. Either they lost somebody from COVID, lost a job, family has been disrupted. Just, just, this has just been, the last 24 months have just been tough for every single human being. Nobody's been spared. People are walking around with disorientation, fear, huge levels of anxiety. And this is a season for us to pray for people. Ask God to give us listening ears. Ask God to give us hearts of compassion. Ask God to give us the willingness to speak hope. And even to say to someone, can I just pray with you right now? You see, friends, I am a firm believer, and I've been practicing this for years and years and years. I'm a firm believer that before we talk to people about God, and that's what many of us are hung upon. We think, I've got to get that formula down. I've got to get the words right. And since I don't know what to say, I better just zip it. No, you don't have to wait for that. You can start praying for that person. Even if you don't know what you should be saying, just start saying, Lord God, I pray that you'll reveal yourself to my neighbor, to my brother, to my boss, to my coworkers. You can do that. You don't need to go to seminary. You don't need to go take some class that lasts for 100 weeks. And then you go read a book. And then you go watch a video. And then at the end of it all, you still say, well, I'm still not sure what to say. You don't need all that. Start praying. Because that's what Jesus said we should do, right? Pray to the Lord of the harvest. And somehow, God will send out. And you might be amongst the ones 
who get sent. If you attend one of our Wednesday night prayer gatherings on Zoom, many times as we get to the end of our prayer time, we start praying for, I said, let's just pray for the neighbors who live above you, beneath you, on the other side of the fence. Pray for the neighbor on the, down the street. And everybody on the Zoom call starts calling out the names of people who live close to them. And chances are, the people on the Zoom call, they've never talked to these folks about Jesus, but they're praying that the Holy Spirit will prepare their hearts, will reveal himself, will reveal Jesus to them. What prayer does then, it alerts us, it readies us for the times when God will say, speak, share my love. And your heart will be so prepared that it won't be a big deal. You'll do it. So I want to challenge First Prayers. We are a mainline church. Amen? And when you look at the statistics, mainline churches are dying on the vine. And you know why? We are afraid of the word evangelism. And we think if we share the gospel, we're becoming fundies. If we share the gospel, we're right wing. We're Republicans. No, if you share the gospel, you're biblical. You're following Jesus. You're growing your heart for his kingdom to come. Would you pray with me? Oh God, prepare us to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. Oh God, equip us to be your messengers of good news in a bad news world. Oh God, move our hearts with the same compassion that moved your heart to give yourself for the sake of others. Send us out this day, Lord, to make a difference. To make a difference. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's messengers say, Amen.